to actions and today we are on podcast number 66 i believe we've been officially podcasting for about a year and a half now but it's really it's really going to start picking up here as we have a a guest that's willing to do uh more than once a week uh do interviews more than once a week and this is going to be great this is a returning guest uh from the last podcast he's the author of the book controlligarchs Exposing the billionaire class, their secret deals, and the globalist plot to dominate your life. His name is Seamus Bruner, and he formerly, uh, last time we talked, he, he was the director of research at Government Accountability Institute, but he's been promoted. Pretty awesome. He's now the vice president of GAI, also known as uh, Government Accountability Institute. So in today we also have Kimberly with us too. So this is going to get pretty, uh, pretty intense. Kimberly, uh, would you like to say anything before we bring Seamus in? I'm really excited to unwrap this book and all the amazing research that you've done to share with us. So thank you so much for being with us. Oh man, Bobby, Kimberly, uh, it's always so good to talk to you. I'm so excited to be doing. Uh, more shows with you. I'll give you as many as you as you want or need. So this is going to be fun. And uh, kudos to both of you for your your intrepid work on all the transhumanism stuff. I mean, I you were one of the first people, Bobby, who I saw talking about a lot of these issues that are now completely surrounding us every single day. Yeah. Well, wow. I really appreciate that coming from you. Is um, I mean, it it really the stuff that we cover, including including yourself, uh, respect. Uh, respectfully, really seems to be in the, the realms of science fiction when it's actually not. And you've done a performed a plethora of research, uh, deep diving. I'm sure late nights um, in the office, and I understand uh, the toll that uh, deep dive research can can have. So, uh, high five to you on on all your commitment. Yeah, I know. You know, well, it's exhausting. It's it's soul sucking. It's it's heavy stuff. Um, you know, it can uh, it can really crush you. So I appreciate you saying that and recognizing that most people don't really recognize uh, what it takes to go deep down into the caverns and the the scary places to find some of this stuff. And then you bring it out and you kind of present it and show it. And it's like, oh, that's you know, that's it's pretty bad. But you don't see, you know, because we only publish the stuff that we can 100% document, verify facts, no opinion type things. But, you know, when you get down into the transhumanist stuff and, I mean, you know, there were some Epstein connections here to Bill Gates, who I know we're going to be talking about a lot on this show. Um, when you get down into stuff like Epstein and human trafficking and, and transhumanism and 666 patents, uh, it's heavy. It's heavy stuff, and and most people uh, we spare you from all of that in, in until we can fully prove it. But um, anyway, so uh, it's 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 uh, it's dark stuff. Even the stuff we we can document with a hundred percent certainty and in, in sources is is dark stuff. But uh, just know it's the tip of the iceberg, and underneath the waters, the dark waters, there's uh, there's evil lurking. 
Yeah, it is a tough job, but some of us have to do it, Seamus. And it's an honor to be working with you. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we're still young, so we'll probably be working together till we're up into our 80s, uh, maybe 90s. Um, so yeah, if Elon Musk hasn't put a Neuralink in us by then, and uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink got its first human scalp this week. Um, yeah, the, it is the first first human trial of a brain uh, computer interface by Elon Musk. Actually, there's thousands of people who've gotten brain computer interfaces, but um, you know, people seem to really uh, lionize and and. Uh, praise Elon Musk not knowing that he's got some sinister designs that will I'm sure we'll we'll spend another podcast on him I know you want to talk about Bill Gates today Absolutely. yeah yeah today we're going to switch gears uh, we'll go into the second gear and we're going to cover every chapter and for our listeners uh, every episode of this podcast is going to cover one chapter of your book <coughs> excuse me control Garks. Today we're going to focus on Bill Gates, and the second chapter is entitled "Gates, The Gates of Hell, as in Bill Gates of Hell. So just, uh, just starting, um, what made you want to write a, an entire chapter regarding uh, Bill Gates, and then we can get into all of your details and uh, kind of let you take, it, uh, take the show off. Yeah, well, it's um, you know, these are these. I love I love doing podcasts with you because you get the inside baseball and the, and you ask the questions that uh, no one else asks, so you'll get some of the uh, exclusive information that I've never reported before. So this this whole book project started. I mean, I had been, I mean, I think we all have been very skeptical of this computer nerd who popped up into our lives during the pandemic and had all of these recommendations for how we were supposed to behave and you know normalcy doesn't return until we fully vaccinate the entire global population it's like who the heck is this guy and why does you know obviously bobby you and i have known bill gates for a while but for the average person it's like he's the he's the world's richest man you know he's a he's a computer programmer he's got all these kind of investments and and obviously he's very very hopped up on vaccines um what happened was, uh, you know, so I had been tracking him and kind of saving. And I get an email um, from uh, from a, a, a literary agent who says um, a public a certain publishing house really wants uh, the def the definitive uh, book on Bill Gates, sort of like the biography that Bill Gates wouldn't want written. Uh, and so they wanted the whole book to be about Gates. I mean, this is kind of, you know, publishers are savvy. They know what the, the market wants. Everybody wants to know who the heck is this guy? Why is he so in control of our pandemic response? And this would have been around 2021. So this has really been a three, three year investigation. Um, you know, it's two years what the press release says, but it's really been a three year investigation now. And, um, you know, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, Bill Gates is a bad dude. He's, he's got some sinister plans for the future, but he's not the only one. There's a lot of other tech oligarchs who have uh, similar sinister designs and they all get together and they meet at places like Davos and the World Economic Forum. And they, they talk about ways and they plot and scheme to how to control our lives. And so I, I, I wrote back, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to write a book on Bill Gates. But, um, you know, I think we really ought to include some of the other people like Bill Gates in the book. And so um, at a minimum, I had to do one full chapter on Gates uh, and, and everybody else. I mean, a lot of the books we write, we, we kind of put a, like a, a, 
you know, we don't go further back than let's say 10 years. Everybody knows is, oh, it's ancient history. Microsoft is ancient history and this, you know, all of these kinds of things. But what I think Control Darks does um, that our, a lot of our other books have not done, our, our Government Accountability Institute books. Like, for example, I did uh, the compromised FBI book, and that really only went back to 2015. I mean, I, I told some ancient history about Hoover and stuff just as a little bit of a, an aside. But uh, same thing with the Fallout book. I mean, you know, we go, we go back into our... our uh, nuclear whistleblowers and, and their story goes back 20 plus years but uh for for this book i really wanted to have the definitive uh biography on bill gates that he doesn't want you to know and so that's where gates of hell i mean it opens with a scene where he is uh you know he's flying back from south africa and he was at a tennis tournament in the 20 so just Really, I mean, it hadn't even, coronavirus had not even been declared a global pandemic yet. Um, now, we suspect he had, uh, you know, he had some good insider intel because he's very plugged in in the uh, epidemiology, global health community. And so he, Bill Gates knew more, knew more about the coronavirus than just about any of us long before we did. And he was holding pandemic training exercises six months before anybody had ever even heard of. Uh, the coronavirus. So um, I kind of opened with that scene to give you a, a little taste of what Bill Gates was up to before, you know, while you were sleeping, Bill Gates was plotting the pandemic response um, before Dr. Fauci uh, entered our lives and got, you know, took center stage during the pandemic. Bill Gates was holding uh, dinners with his brain trust of, you know, man, what if this thing becomes to do? And it just seemed script had been written uh, years in advance. And in fact, it had been written years in advance by Bill Gates. And uh, a lot of people think that Dr. Fauci was the author and director and, uh, you know, authoritarian person who came up with things like social distancing and wear a mask and uh, got a lockdown and no kids in schools and got to get vaccinated. Um, that was actually Bill Gates. And as I uncovered and, and, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. did a great job in his book, uh, the real Anthony Fauci, which was all about Fauci. Um, he, he uncovered some really good stuff and I, and I took it a few steps further, but he, he found, and I'm going to give him credit for this. He found that Bill Gates actually hosted Dr. Fauci in the nineties over t in, uh, Seattle, Washington at Bill Gates's palatial abode, uh, uh, named, uh, nicknamed Xanadu 2.0 after the Orson Welles, uh, citizen Kane, uh, fictional mansion. It's a 66,000 square foot monstrosity that probably uses more electricity and energy and has a bigger carbon footprint than you would have in an entire year in one day. Um, and so Gates knew Fauci for decades and, and most people don't know that. And so, um, you know, what does that mean? Bill Gates was actually a big funder of Dr. Fauci. I, I crunched the numbers for how much money Bill Gates and his foundation have spent on Dr. Fauci and Deborah Birx's uh, pet projects. These would be things like PEPFAR and, uh, you know, the Global Fund for uh, Treating AIDS. A lot of this is AIDS-related, um, HIV AIDS-related work. But uh, Bill Gates has spent more than $5.2 billion on Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx's pet projects. And so you better believe that when uh, Bill Gates has a suggestion, Dr. Fauci is ready to hear it. And, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci hasn't practiced really largely, uh, 
bureaucrat, uh, you know, kind of a public health official, but he's not actually in the science. Well, Bill Gates is at the cutting edge of every type of science you can imagine. Things like CRISPR and, and gene editing and uh, the, the new mRNA delivery platform, which they really, that's actually a transhumanist type endeavor where they want to uh, cure aging and even death. Um, that's really what mRNA is all about. Um, is not it's not about a, a pesky little flu-like symptom. It's about uh, curing things, everything from Alzheimer's to Zika. Um, that's what they hope it's for, anyway. Um, but I, I digress a little bit. So that's where that's where the scene opens. Is where uh, Bill Gates is is plotting uh, how to handle the pandemic response. And then I do a flashback, and you know I'll let you. Uh, I mean I don't know if you want me to keep going or if you want to ask questions, but I can kind of run you through it all, or, or, or feel free to jump in with any questions anytime. Yeah, let's see. Um... I thought it was interesting, <clears throat> the the mansion, uh, based off of the fictional mansion, uh, was uh, ironically uh, 66,000 square feet, right? Yes. Right. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't 70 or 77,000. I mean, was, it's not 70. Yes. It was particularly uh, six, six, uh, and three zeros. I thought that was ironic, but. Yes, and is and and we and we can get to uh, the six 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 patent that Microsoft and Bill Gates have on uh, basically what sounds like Mark of the Beast. I agree. That but was, that, uh, that that's toward the end. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kimberly, you have any questions before we let Seamus uh, take off let, the next? Let's one? keep going. Okay. Cool. All right. So so then. Um, uh, you know, and I had had this feeling, and I think a lot of people have had this gut feeling about, the, you know, first of all, if you look at the uh, origin stories of these big tech superheroes, people like uh, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, um, even Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, to me, seems like the, uh, the most visionary of them. I'm a little biased. I'm sort of a, you know, a, a big fan of Apple products, even though they're probably, uh, you know, I, it probably represents the apple from the garden that uh, Eve and Adam took bites out of. Who knows? But um, nonetheless, I think Steve Jobs really was a visionary, whereas Bill Gates is sort of like uh, more of a salesman. He's sort of like a, he's a software pedal. You know, he pedals software and, and figures out ways using legal, um, you know, you know, legal licensing and software licensing agreements in order to um, make a, a tr what's close to a trillion dollar company. Um, and so we've all sort of had this feel, Oh, you look at the origin stories of all these guys. It's like the same one. It's like, you know, Oh, he was tinkering around in his garage and day how to billion dollar company. I know, you know, I'm oversimplifying it and I don't want to take, uh, you know, too much credit where it's due. I mean, I do give credit. I don't want to, uh, turn these guys into caricatures. Um, you know, they've made great products in a lot of ways. I mean, we could, probably debate the long-term effects of how tech is going to um totally destroy civilization maybe but maybe not um but but nonetheless i mean as i'm typing this book out on microsoft word i have to give credit it's it's a great product and i you know have used the OneDrive and various products from microsoft and they work very well and so i i do tip my hat to them for making a product that makes it easier to get out information i think it, i find it kind of ironic Another quick aside, I ended up uh, signing up for Bing uh, GPT, Microsoft's uh, chat GPT type uh, product. And I was a beta user as I was finishing the book. And it was amazing because I would ask Bing GPT. It's basically like a Google search engine 
but it's AI that will provide you with the sources and it will provide you full sentence answers. And I would ask questions. I've got, I got a whole folder. I got to send you these, or we can talk about it on another podcast. I'll, I'll brush up on it, but I, it just reminded me. I ask it questions like, uh, actually altruistic. You get some financial benefit. You know, you can ask really complex questions to it. It's uh, pretty remarkable. Can, can, you repeat, um, can, you repeat, and, uh, uh, can you repeat what you just said? You were cutting out just a little bit. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm in my house connected to Wi-Fi. But um, so I signed up for uh, Bing GPT, which is like the uh, the Microsoft version of Chat GPT. It provides you with real uh, answers in a conversational way, and it also provides footnotes for the answers. And just the uh, the thing that I found so interesting about it is uh, the first questions I was asking it about Bill Gates and tell me you know about how he made his money and is he truly philanthropic or altruistic or is it really a business model? that helps make him richer. And uh, the, the, the candor uh, of Bing GPT on my first use, you know, when I used it for the first time, it was giving me the dirt on Bill Gates. I found it amazing. And as time went on, two, three months of using it, eventually Bing GPT, I kid you not, I've got the screenshots, would say things like, well, you know, more or less, why are you picking on Bill Gates? He's like a hero who he's going to save you, you know, the human race. Like it, it literally learned and got better and learned how to not tell me the truth about Bill Gates. Um, so, you know, the, the, these AIs that are popping up left and right, um, they are programmed by the control oligarchs and they will uh, learn how to keep the truth from you. And, that you know, we've seen example after example of how uh, chat GPT and stuff is really just like woke and, uh, you know, really it's going to end up being propaganda. But all of the masses who don't know these things that we know here is, are going to treat it. I mean, they're almost going to worship it like it's like, a you know. A new God. I mean, I think I saw a headline chat GPT has created a new religion or written a new book of the Bible. And you can imagine not too far away, people will be worshiping AI as if in deifying AI. It's a, it's a frightening prospect. But anyway, back to Bill Gates. So in the origin stories, I just found it suspicious that they all set up in their garage and Jeff Bezos has got a picture of him in his garage and Bill Gates was in his garage. It's like the exact same origin story. So I wanted to prove, and I got close. I mean, close enough to say that Bill Gates did not build Microsoft. Uh, it was really more his father and his mother and their connections. Uh, his mother had a clo very close relationship with the CEO of IBM. Um, and IBM is really the company that made Microsoft the Microsoft we know today. I mean, Microsoft was a nothing company, made no products, had nothing. And uh, because Mary Maxwell Gates, Mary, uh, Ga uh, Bill's mother, uh, had a close relationship with John Opel, the head of IBM, IBM gives, I mean, imagine uh, giving a, a billion dollar contract essentially to a company that doesn't have a product. It was, it was kind of crazy in that way. And what uh, Microsoft did, this is in the very early 70s, late 60s. Um, it, uh, Bill Gates, you know, the one we know, his father's name is also Bill. So Bill Sr. and Bill Jr. is the one we know today as the, the vaccine fanboy. Um, Bill Jr. is like, you know, 18, 19, 20. So it's like a kid. He's a bit more or less a kid and gets a massive contract with the largest computer company uh, man has ever seen. IBM at the time was there was nothing close. Um, so it's, it's a kind of a, a story that doesn't really add up. But what does add up is Bill Gates Sr., uh, the father, is, was a very high-powered lawyer in Seattle. And uh, basically, single-handedly with Bill Jr., turned Seattle into a thriving biotech and computer hub. 
I mean, there's evidence actually that Amazon would not exist without the Gateses, which is it's headquartered in Seattle and uh, Costco. You know, these massive, massive companies are all headquartered in Seattle. Well, Bill Gates's father, Starbucks, uh, is another one who you know uh, was Bill Gates Senior was the lawyer for them, and Bill, so Bill Gates Senior when. Uh, Junior was still a child, had come up with uh, very complex legal arrangements, licensing type arrangements, royalty arrangements. He was uh, the general counsel for a company called Physio Control, which um, eventually it made the, the medical device uh, the defibrillator and would license out the defibrillator so that they could continue charging, you know, selling a product more than once over and over and over again, making you pay year by year. I mean, uh, and, and that's a business model that we see popping up everywhere. I mean, new cars, you're having to subscribe to get the seat heaters. And I mean, the new BMW, if you want to have that sensor that beeps, if you've got a car or a kid behind you to pay for those safety, you have to pay 10 bucks a month for those safety features. These are all t uh, things that were pioneered by Bill Gates and his father. And, and Microsoft later down the line would adopt them where you have to pay every year for uh you know, the new operating system and constant updates and, and stuff like that. But that's sort of an aside. Um, moving forward, so Bill Gates, you know, he gets Microsoft um, and, uh, you know, his father is the general counsel of Microsoft. And there's this thing called the Microsoft effect where lawyers from Gates's law firm, which was Schid Schidler, McBroom and Gates and later K&L Gates, um, very, very high powered law firm in Seattle, but also in Washington, D.C. It became a big lobbying and law firm. And that's Gates. You know, if you look up K&L Gates, it's one of the most powerful white shoe law firms in the country. Um, Bill Sr. kind of lingers in the background. But um, I, you know, I map out all of the family connections, all of the people that the Gates is, uh, you know, were, were tied in with. I mean, one of the organizations that Bill Gates Sr. was a director at, uh, at the national level of Planned Parenthood. And I connected him. I know we talked a lot in the last uh, podcast episode that people need to go check out about the Rockefellers. Um, Planned Parenthood is a Rockefeller creation. I mean, Margaret Sanger was uh, the founder, but uh, she was more or less backed from day one from the Rockefeller family, who is very concerned with overpopulation. And so Bill Gates Sr. is very concerned about uh, overpopulation. And now Bill Gates Jr., he speaks about it uh, quite openly. The population on planet Earth is, there's too many of us. There's too many peasants uh, sharing uh, Bill Gates's air. And so there needs to be less of us. And that's a, a view shared by many of the control oligarchs. Um, they've got all kinds of crazy ways um, to to get rid of us. Uh, but Planned Parenthood is a very effective way. They've convinced women that actually you want careers, you don't want a family, you don't want children, uh, whether whether it's for own, you know, your own personal lifestyle reasons or for economic reasons or because you think that uh, children are going to kill the planet and therefore you know, we need to have less of us. They've really done a good job of convincing people not to have kids. And so you know, Planned Parenthood is critical to that calculation, obviously. Um, but then there was a number of other things that Planned Parenthood, while Bill Gates Sr. was a director there, and this is 1960s, 1970s, um, uh, you know, there was a memo I, I found. It's called the Jaffe Memo. If you wanted to look it up, uh, you know, there's even a Wikipedia page on it. You've probably never heard about it, but J-A-F-F-E Memo. And it's uh, between Planned Parenthood and the Rockefeller Foundation's Population Council. And the Jaffe Memo talks about all these 
uh, innovative new ways to uh, bring down the birth rates. And of course, abortion is a huge birth control and our foundation funded every single contraceptive method you can imagine. A lot of them that did a lot of harm along the way and various, you know, uh, rudimentary IUD type device and uterine devices and, and uh, pills. And there was, they even funded a uh, anti-fertility vaccine. You should look at the page uh, that the National Institutes of Health has about anti-fertility vaccines. I mean, we're getting kind of into the weeds here a little bit, but I think it's important stuff. Uh, human gonadotropin HCG is a, it's like a, it's a sort of hormone type thing that the body releases. They found a way to control that so that you give someone a shot and they're no longer fertile. That, that kind of plays into, I mean, we've had huge fertility decline in the United States and, and huge testosterone declines in the, in all across the world or actually mostly just Western world. Um, and, and people think, you know, maybe it's the food, maybe it's the soy, maybe it's something. In any case, these guys have been funding it for decades. And so I don't have the answer. It's probably deeply hidden and all the files shredded. But you, you can sense that there's something wrong. And Bill Gates today still talks about, you know, uh, vaccines are the number one way that he wants to bring down birth rates. And so you know, I I don't say that there's something in the vaccines. A lot of people do say that, and I encourage people to do research. Podcast uh, canceled, um, but definitely definitely read the book, and there's all kinds of information on that. And uh, Bill Gates has stated uh, reason because this is a question you get all the time, and, and everybody wonders is like, how on earth does saving lives? Bill, if if Bill Gates is so concerned about overpopulation then why is he quote unquote saving so many lives? You know, he's, why is he so concerned about malaria and he's concerned about smallpox and yellow fever and all, you know, like in the third world and everywhere, he wants to cure every disease. Wouldn't curing every disease equal more people? Um, and he, he has an answer for that. I don't find it per particularly persuasive, but his answer is, well, if you uh, save all of these lives and, and you can guarantee, he, he attributes overpopulation to in the third world, uh, mothers or families don't know if their child is going to survive because, you know, a, a lot of children don't survive childhood or even childbirth. Um, and so therefore, if you can cure all these diseases that take uh, kids away from their mothers, then their mothers can basically, it's, it's, uh, it's birth on demand. Um, you know, if you want to have a kid, you definitely have a kid. And if you don't want to have a kid, um, you can control that with birth control. And a lot of, you know, as obviously the title suggests, a lot of this is all about control. Um, but I feel like I've gone on a good long rant there. I mean, that's, that kind of brings you through the creation of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. His father was uh, instrumental in that. They brought in a lot of population control experts from the Rockefeller Foundation. And that is why Bill Gates today uh, is also hopped up on vaccines and, and, and uh, you know, uh, global health. And, and, and somehow that leads to making him, crowning him the uh, dictator of the pandemic. Interesting. <clears throat> um, I was speaking of population control. Uh, I think it, it's interesting to know that uh, the SARS-CoV-2, you know, going back just a few years, but SARS-CoV-2, also known uh, as uh, COVID-19, you know, a little more details and and all the you know technical language. I'm not going to go into really, but it it tar targets the ACE2 receptor which is uh, abundantly expressed in the male testicles, uh, the spike protein uh, in that. And I do believe that, uh, that vaccines were including 
uh, you know, adjuvated um, spike proteins. So to me, it's interesting to know that both the virus and potentially even the quote cure or the vaccine was both targeting uh, the male testicles, thus uh, affecting the potential for human reproduction. And that probably goes back a little further, though, too. But Kimberly wants to say something. Yeah, a, fr a friend of mine shared that a friend of hers, um, she did get the shot. And her husband became infertile just by being around her. Yes. And, and so I, I mean, I, all I have is anecdotal evidence and, you know, well, in the news is coming, I mean, the news coming out day by day. I mean, I guarantee you today you, there's a, there's a, some new headline. They're finally starting to tell, tell you the truth. Like, Oh, whoops, our bad. Yeah, there is uh, myocarditis. Oh, sorry. Our bad. There are fertility issues going on. Um, every day there's like new evidence that uh, was suppressed as they were pushing the, and, and just look at the, look at the number of people getting boosters. It's like, it went from 90% compliant, 99% compliance in some countries. And by the way, I've got so many doctor friends who I've talked to, um, like compliance, like medical compliance, like taking the advice from your doctor and following through with it. You're lucky to get 50%. Someone who just had a heart attack and they give new heart meds to, uh, you're lucky to get 50% compliance from that from that patient who just had a heart attack so so like when you talk about compliance rates and people complying with the advice of doctors uh 99 of compliance like in countries like australia or israel um is wild you've never seen that that level of compliance with a recommended med uh, medicine before um and they're not vaccines i mean we use that word because that's what they've changed the definition to but i i call them throughout the book jabs um, because they're really injections, they're uh, mRNA genetic uh, therapies, gene therapies. That's what their technical term is. They're not vaccines. Merriam-Webster actually changed the definition from a live attenuated virus to that, that cures and prevents a disease to uh, anything. The new definition of vaccine is anything that elicits a, quote, immune response, which is so the bar is so low for that. And it's like, you know, it, it, it's effectively a meaningless term at this point. Um, like by this definition, taking vitamin C is a vaccine um, because it elicits an immune response. But uh, back to your point, Kimberly, I've got uh, like tons of anecdotal evidence. It's tragic the number of stories I've heard about stillbirths and miscarriages um, since the vaccine. I can't attribute it to um, the vaccine personally. I'm not a doctor. Um, you know, I've got my own personal feelings, but I don't want to be out here giving medical advice or anything like that. But yeah, we know that there's something fishy going on with the vaccines. And, uh, to your point, Bobby, about, you know, the, the spike protein, the ACE2 receptor, um, they've been doing research on, like I said, the HCG, uh, you know, the, the hormone for lack of a better term, I think there's a more medical term for it, but anti-fertility vaccines, everybody go Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever your search engine of choice is anti-vertility vaccines, National Institutes of Health, and go read the full page on it. It is dark, insidious stuff. They were running these trials in India on uh, untested, sounds familiar, right, uh, med medicines. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the first time either that Bill Gates and his foundation and his colleagues in the Rockefeller Foundation and the Ford Foundation, a lot of these other control oligarch NGOs go and experiment on human populations. Now, they usually pick the third world because they don't have... Uh, you know, we're not going to find out about some village in, in, uh, Burundi or something, or in, you know, in deep in the bowels of, uh, you know, India or Africa, but they, they, in Nigeria, like they're very skeptical 
from the Gates Foundation, I believe Congress uh, in India passed, you know, or, or, or voted on resolutions to ban the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation because of their um, uh, HPV vaccine vaccine trials. Lots of women died uh, during these trials, and you don't really hear much about it. It's been all suppressed in Western media, but uh, India people, you know, Indian people from the country of India hate the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for the trials they've run. And so it's sort of on brand that they would say, oh, well, we, you know, it's like they sort of have done trials in uh, foreign countries. So why not uh, experiment on everyone around the planet? And um, yeah, so it's interesting that these fertility issues are coming up. And then it's also further interesting that this is uh, like, I, I have to, I, I have to be certain, but I believe I've seen it's, it's kind of crazy because they gaslight you so much. But, you know, because at first it was like, oh, if you say that it came out, say that coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, uh, came from a lab, you were, uh, you know, you were censored, you were uh, deplatformed, you were canceled, uh, you were totally credit to, to President for, in in the face of all of that, actually suggesting that in public, and, and he actually raised a lot of awareness about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But if you remember back in the beginnings of the pandemic, if you didn't just, you know, mindlessly regurgitate, yes, it came from a wet market. Like nobody had even heard the term wet market before. Um, you, you know, you were nuts. Well, now it's been pretty conclusively proven that it did come from the lab. But the news I've been seeing lately is that Oh yeah, actually, it is a you know a uh, you know gain of function genetically tinkered with virus. I think that's uh, fairly conclusively proven. Until everybody agrees with it, you're sort of not allowed to say it. And even once everybody agrees with it, you're still going to get uh, censored. So uh, you know, I guess you're probably not going to be posting this on YouTube. I know a few of my <laughs> interviews have been taken down when we talk about these kinds of things. But uh, Anyway, this is critical information, and God bless you guys for, for talking freely about it and allowing me to talk freely about it. Oh, yeah. I don't think they were allowed to use the the phrase or words, uh, wet lab. Uh, though, yeah, you are correct. Most people were not aware of, uh, of the words uh, wet market, let alone a wet laboratory, where it really right. Well, it was, yeah, it was a BSL four, like biosafety lab level four, which is like the highest, highest level. It's like basically the genetic, the genetic tinkering and biological equivalent of like a nuclear, uh, nuclear facility, you know, like where, like a place like where, yeah, Jeff and Chick work, but even more sensitive than that, uh, was what the Wuhan is. See, like time and again is China is really their sandbox. So they were working on these. Uh, gain of function viruses, these chimeric viruses, and that if you you know haven't heard the term of a chimeric virus, I, I love it because it's like the, a chimera is this mythical beast that's like a cross between like a dragon and a lion, and uh, I think like a serpent or something. It's a very scary beast, and it's like yeah, that's exactly what these viruses are. Is they're scary beasts. Um, these chimeric viruses, like that, was banned from research in the United States. So what do they do? They go to China. And it's kind of like the same thing with the Xinjiang uh, sweatshops and the in the in the Uyghurs, and you know, using because China is such an authoritarian regime, you can basically get away with anything there as long as you you know pay the right people and you're in league with them. And so we we exported, and I you know I feel bad for uh, China, you know the Chinese citizens, not the Chinese Communist Party, but um, and I tell people this all the time: it's like we we have more in common with the average Chinese peasant and Chinese citizen 
than we do with our, our leaders, people like Anthony Fauci or Bill Gates. They And Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates and Joe Biden, they have more in common with Xi Jinping than they do with us. A lot of people have this misconception. They talk about China like it's our adversary or we need to get tough on China. And I always tell them like we really need to like be much more careful in how we define we and our. We do not have the same interests. Our interests are not aligned with our ruling class, with the, with the control oligarchs. The control oligarchs do not see China as an adversary or a threat. They are not loyal to the United States of America. They are loyal to themselves, their elite cabal of uh, you know World Economic Forum globalists. And uh, they view China as a partner and a friend, and they are more than willing to experiment on the Chinese uh, people there. They love China for that uh, aspect. I mean, Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum chairman, he said, he, you know, they'll always use uh, euphemisms like uh, you know, China is so good at mobilizing resources or Bill Gates will say they're very efficient in their response. What that really means is they are an authoritarian power with ruthless and total control over their population. And, the, and, and that is the to import China's authoritarianism, authoritarianism uh, to the rest of the world, to America. They want things. They're working very hard on things. And maybe we should spend the rest of the, uh, the time we have together talking about, um, you know, what comes next. Cause people, you know, tell me all the time, they want to import things like social credit scores and we can get into how Microsoft and Bill Gates are working very hard on things like digital ID, um, and, and, and how AI serves the, serves the purpose of, uh, you know, uh, instituting total control over the entire global population. But, uh, the final, you know, the final point on China is Bill Gates loves China uh, he's helped China for decades using like through Microsoft censoring dissidents, censoring free speech, you know, making deals with China to get Microsoft products in China, uh, outing journalists. And uh, anyway, so he he's a big fan of uh, all of the bad things that China does. I mean, he will sit, not say that, but he'll also say things like, man, they did a great job with the pandemic. And if, if you know, even the tiniest thing about China's response to the pandemic, they were welding the doors shut on their citizens. The entire city of Shanghai, 25 million people were totally locked down, uh, you know, arrested if they even left their high rise, you know, 100 square foot apartments. Uh, there was a puppy massacre I talk about in the book where China, the CCP rounded up everybody's pets because and it's and it's total gaslighting, and it's like you know they know where the virus came from, but they actually were saying, oh well, maybe the you know maybe your uh, your dog or your cat is going to transmit the virus. They literally went door to door killing uh, people's pets. Um, and so when Bill Gates and people like Klaus Schwab they say that man, China did a great job with the pandemic response. You really need to look at these people like they're sick, like they are sociopath. good. China handled the the pandemic response. And, uh, you know, how, uh, how, you know, Bill Gates tried to use similar policies, zero COVID, you know, you're not getting out of your homes, you're not sending your kids back to school until you get the vaccine. Um, and so, you know, that rant, rant over on Bill Gates's pandemic thing, but yeah, I mean, moving forward to what, what comes next, everybody says like, oh, why are we talking about the pandemic? The pandemic is over. No, the pandemic was Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab's blueprint for the future and they plan on using it again. They're already talking about the next pandemic. Uh, you know, there's viruses popping up left and right and new illnesses. Um, it's all very bizarre. And uh, it's something that we need to uh, be very aware of and uh, never let happen again if, if we can. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, so, 
Yeah, going back to 2017, the Department of Health and Human Services was actually given the green light to actually begin research. It had previously been banned, but they were given the green light to work with CDC, NIH, uh, etc. in funding research and the de development of E-triple-P's, or also known as Enhanced Potential Pandemic Pathogens. And they outlined what defines an enhanced potential pandemic pathogen. And one of the bullet points just says blatantly, may cause, may cause uh, uncontrollable global uh, illness. And it's just, it's sickening to read and then going, going, transferring over. You can, the, you, can, you can just, you can just see Bill Gates in his cardigan, like rubbing his hands together, cackling. Uh, go on, Bobby. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, transferring <laughs> over, to, over a few years later, a few, a few years later, then he, you know, he got his wish. He got his, uh. It's kind of like a beta test, right? The uh, the global quote pandemic was more of like a beta test for global domination and seeing what what different types of techniques worked. And it's interesting that as well that Zoom became pretty much like a, a household tool that people used. And it's interesting that, that that's a Chinese, I believe. I'm not sure if it was a Chinese government product, but more than likely like a Chinese uh, equivalent to the FCC over here in, in the U.S. product that was used um, pretty much as much as, as telephones were used during lockdowns and things down that line. So with that, now here we are, 2024, they were talking about uh, disease X or um, a new pandemic and preparing for a new pandemic. Really, if we look at the pattern, and I'm sure you're very good with patterns as well, that we could almost we could almost predict what their next move is, and it it it's more than likely going to be some type of AI integrated with with more strict lockdowns uh, as a way to test a more sophisticated or really even feed and create artificial general intelligence. So, like, yeah, what is, what is next going forward with the with AI gates and uh, global situation? What do you what do you think? Oh man, it's uh, <laughs> I got bad news and more bad news. It's not looking good, uh, fellow humans. Um, you know, with, both both from the next pandemic perspective and from the cyber pandemic perspective, and the World Economic Forum has told you to prepare for the cyber pandemic. They're running cyber pandemic war games. And you're like, what the heck does that mean? Uh, it, you know, we, I think we've talked uh, enough about viruses and we need to definitely get into the AI and the cyber, cyber aspect of all of this. But uh, as far as the next pandemic, it could be, uh, you know, it could be anything. I mean, we, the, the scariest thing about the pandemic is seeing how willing our fellow uh, Americans, our fellow humans were to jump into the uh, you know concentration camp of control that the pandemic offered to these uh, global oligarchs. I mean, our you know our our friends, our family, our parents, our brothers, our sisters, you know, whoever um, were you know shouting at us, and you've got to wear the mask. And you know, I mean, certain of my own relatives wouldn't let you come over if you were unvaccinated, and uh, all of that. So that's that's scary because. You know, it it could either be a serious uh, pandemic, or it could be another common cold, like 
pandemic, quote unquote pandemic. Um, and nonetheless, you're going to have to uh, deal with your own family members and friends um, in taking all of the guidance seriously. And they just can't wait to be locked down again. Um, so on, on the next pandemic, we shall see. I don't know. I mean, it would, you know, the, the first one, the coronavirus targeted the elderly. Um, we, d- we still don't know the long term side effects of the jab. Um, and so like, fertility issues could be a big issue. It would be very scary to me if a, if a next pandemic started targeting young people. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see, and, uh, we'll certainly talk, uh, have more podcasts on this, um, as, as news develops on the AI front, uh, the AI, uh, accomplishes so many goals of the control oligarchs. And I mentioned, uh, previously that they want to import China, China's authoritarianism, not just to the United States, but to the entire planet. And so you just have to look at China to see where they're heading with all, with all of this. And that would be. A social credit score and a social credit score is like game over for us because if you're a dissident you get i mean basically you got to go live off grid you got to you know um and it's not a bad idea not you know i'm not encouraging people to go live off grid but it's not a bad idea to take some personal responsibility learn how to survive uh you know practice survival techniques type thing you know if if it all comes crashing down you know maybe your survival uh techniques don't work but it's not a bad idea to do something um, but where, where this is headed, the social credit score, here's how they get there. Artificial intelligence is projected according to all kinds of estimates. I mean, uh, whether it's Sam Altman, who is the head of OpenAI, which is the Microsoft-backed uh, chat GPT maker, which is right now kind of the largest forward-facing AI company. But Amazon and Amazon Web Services, you've heard AWS, you know, if you watch any sort of sports or something, it's like, oh, these stats brought to you by AWS and analytics has become sort of a euphemism for AI. You know, they don't want it totally invading your life. But I mean, I'm sure everybody's seeing it left and right. You see a Samsung commercial. It's like, oh, Samsung now powered by AI and Canva. If you use Canva for any of your uh, sort of graphics needs, it's like Canva's now got its own AI. Everything's getting its own AI uh, plug in, add on, new feature, chat GPTs everywhere, Amazon Web Services is everywhere. Um, and then Google, of course, Google's got Bard, which is its AI. Um, and I, and I'm not telling you to be a Luddite. I'm not going to say that you should not be using this, um, to better your professional career, better your life. It certainly is, uh, pretty amazing in a lot of, in a lot of the same ways the computer is amazing. And, and people predicted when the computers first came out that, oh man, this is going to replace all the jobs and no, there aren't going to be secretaries anymore. And, and sure enough, uh, that that prediction was, uh, you know, bunk. I mean, most you know, there's more jobs than ever relating to computers. So that's certainly a possibility that AI and the automation revolution is actually going to enhance your life only and make things more convenient. And yes, it will eliminate some of the menial tasks. But who wants to do menial tasks anyway? This is going to free us up to be more creative. Here's what I'd say though: is the automation and the AI revolution is different than the computer revolution because it's going to happen a lot quicker. The computer revolution happened over 50 years. I mean, we're still sort of, you know, we're leaving the computer revolution and heading into uh, the automation and artificial intelligence revolution. That was 50 years. I mean, actually the Rockefeller differential analyzer, which was like the very early computer prototype by the Rockefellers who are just pop up everywhere. Um, That was 1946. So we're talking like 70 years ago. Uh, 
AI is taking the world by storm much quicker and it's going to be all around you. It already is all around you, whether you know it or not. And as you use these tools, just know that at a minimum, you are training your competitor. You know, if you, if you run a business, let's say you're a graphic designer and you start using uh, some of the AI tools, you are training your competitor, something that will take work away from you uh, at best. You know, you are teaching the AI, you're teaching the computer, you know, the, the AI, how to do your job. Um, that's at best training a competitor, if not your replacement. I mean, it's quite possible that it will actually replace your job. And so estimates vary wildly, but on the low end, um, so, you know, estimates by Google or, you know, some, you know, uh, Deloitte or some big accounting firm, like they say that 40% of the jobs will be affected negatively, uh, which means that uh, in the United States, 130, 120 million people uh, are employed. Uh, 40% is roughly 50 million uh, jobs negatively infected. And that's a lot of jobs. Uh, some estimates go up to 80% of jobs. Basically, everybody except the control oligarchs are going to be affected in some way, many of them negatively. So when we're talking about tens of millions of jobs potentially being replaced, and you can kind of look at it like the self-checkout you know, you used to have 30 cashiers um, and now you have one self-checkout manager overseeing 30 self-checkout machines. And where did all the other 29 cashiers go? Well, you know, they've had to find another job. Well, when you're talking about tens of millions of people being displaced, um, that is massive levels of unemployment. We can't fathom the effects of it. Um, I just saw a Microsoft.com article the other day talking about how their new GPT Bing uh, chat GPT type thing can uh, do the job of radiologists better than radiologists. And so you're going to see this more and more. I just saw a, a, a janitor robot that cleans a bathroom for, you know, two cents an hour, just the, the, just the price of, of, you know, charging it. And so more and more jobs you're going to see um, are essentially obsolete. They can be done by the, either the, uh, you know, if it's a digital job, things like content creators and graphic designers and um, you know, even, even, uh, you know, things like musicians. I mean, you, you may think to yourself too, that like, this is going to allow me, uh, more time to be creative. You know, if I lose my job, uh, you know, I'll, uh, here, here's where it leads. It leads to universal basic income. You're seeing, uh, growing demands for you. Hey, sorry. Universal basic income. Congressman Adam Schiff is proposing a new UBI uh, type of legislation to give everybody universal basic income. And they, uh, you lost me? Hello? Oh, yeah, we lost it for about, I mean, 10 seconds or so. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Uh, well, anyway, so, so where AI is heading, I'm, I, I hope I'm not rambling too much here. Where AI is heading is it's leading to calls for a universal basic income. We don't know how many jobs it will displace. We know it's not zero. Um, and as it displaces more and more jobs, more and more people will be demanding a, a, a welfare check is what UBI is, really, universal basic income. Um, what, and, and what that does is that is uh, – this is why it's central to the control oligarch's agenda and the social credit scores because in order to get your universal basic income check – uh, and and, and uh, ChatGPT maker, OpenAI, and Sam Altman, it's not a coincidence. They are funding and in, in the midst of the largest UBI study ever performed. Uh, you will need a digital ID, a, a biometric, uh, so that uh, this is what they're saying. I mean, obviously, people receive welfare checks today, 
But um, it's amazing the number of things. If you lose your job and you're trying to feed yourself and your family, it's amazing the number of things that people will do. Just look at the vaccine mandates. You know, if you were going to lose your job, millions of people uh, uh, got the vaccine who would or the jab who would not have ordinarily done that because they were going to lose their job. So if you lose your job, you will get a digital ID guaranteed. Uh, you'll sign up for the open AI digital ID. And what the digital ID does is it centralizes everything. This is the first step of the social credit score. Second step is the central bank digital currency. This is why they are pushing uh, in the Federal Reserve is working very, very hard on things like FedCoin in a, in a centralized digital currency. This is not to be confused with your, you know, your tap to pay, which I think is just kind of conditioning you into, you know, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, whatever, conditioning you into a digital uh, money system in, in going cashless. But a central bank digital currency is not to be confused with like Bitcoin, which is a decentralized cryptocurrency. And I view as sort of a way out of the central banking cartel. Um, a CBDC, central bank digital currency, is the other piece to the social credit score agenda because and, and they say that it, oh well in order to get your universal basic income check we're going to need uh, a central bank digital currency this is like so we can speed it up and when people have lost their jobs uh, they will be begging for a CBDC and so you can see how these crises are in a lot of ways manufactured um, they are full speed ahead on the AI and no matter how many jobs it displaces you know they'll tell you that well it will save a lot of lives at the hospital or whatever personally by the way I think we've sort of peaked as a civilization, you can get a, a meal to your doorstep in a matter of a, an hour or less. You can push a button and get basically anything you want within 24 hours from Amazon. I think we should, we could probably take a pause and, uh, you know, think about whether we want to render humans as useless, which is what Yuval Noah Harari and, and Bill Gates and people like that are saying is going to happen through this AI thing. It's like, why do we, we don't want to become useless. Uh, a job is something that gives someone purpose and, and meaning in life. Why would we want to replace that with robots who have no feeling or uh, don't have souls? <laughs> and so it seems, I think, like a no-brainer to most people. But the, the the biggest problem with people like Bill Gates is they're not elected. None of the control oligarchs are elected. Um, and they're therefore unaccountable. We don't have a seat at the table. We don't have a say. And that's what's sort of scary about all this is like, you know, who like how do we stop it, right? And so... Uh, we can get into solutions in a little bit. I feel like I've uh, rambled for quite a bit. Well, um, yeah, going forward, I, was, I wanted to get your opinion on this, is there were a lot of new concepts, were, well, concepts that were introduced to society uh, during lockdowns. Uh, one being uh, going touchless or, or contact-free. That the concept of contact free, I think, runs parallel with uh, with digit with uh, digital IDs. Uh, potentially, when they're implanted in in one's hand, then the going touchless, uh, you know, touch free, would be a good idea to a lot of people because then instead of having to scan their card. Or you know, get something out of their pocket and potentially quote contaminating the scanner. All they'd have to do is scan their their wrist, which uh, where the uh, the Verifone or Verichip or probably some other company at that time would have its implant. 
And I think that would be, would that be considered a central, what was it, CBDC, you said, central bank uh, digital currency? Yeah, all, well, and, and no, you're exactly right. You're in, in your business full circle from the beginning of the show here to uh, the 666 patent. And it feels like it could be where you cannot buy unless you have this. And so um, there's a guy. Um, I want to say, you know, I'll pull up his name, Richard Wagner, um, who is a former World Economic Forum um, and I will, I'll send you the clip. Um, what did, I got to find his name, but anyway, he says, uh, the thing that we need to spread the word on about CBDCs is what does it look like? What does a central bank do? currency look like you imagine zeros and ones something passing through a bunch of tubes and wires and like what is a cbdc he says no a cbdc exactly as you say bobby is about the size of race and it is a chip it is an implantable microchip and right now amazon you know if you've ever if you've been to an airport in the last six months you, you're noticing these amazon stores popping up left and right in the airports where you scan your hand now, it's currently your handprint, but I think that's just more conditioning for the chip because, uh, you know, they're, you know they, you've got to store your, 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 your digital identity. And maybe they won't even need a microchip. Maybe it will just be biometric, retinal or, or, or handprint, fingerprint type scans where it's all centralized. And so it's the currency is centralized and the identity is centralized. And that is exactly what a CBDC – now, the thing is they don't actually need a – uh, CBDC for you to like if you had a microchip it could just work just like the near field communication the NFC the little Wi-Fi signal that you see on your debit card or or on Apple Pay or Samsung Pay I mean you don't actually need something implanted which is kind of wild um, like why and you don't even need a CBDC it could just be linked to your bank account so kind of a common misconception about CBDCs and currency in general is that well don't we have digital currency now like I don't even I haven't used cash in six months you know I just use my card and you know I scan it no no, no. our financial system our Federal Reserve is a cash system where even though only about three percent of the currency out there is cash that actually confounds the entire system they can't use AI to uh, you know uh, process and analyze and create profiles in, in of your spending habits if you listen to the head of the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS, and this is a an organization built uh, based in Switzerland. It is like the central bankers' central bank. If you've heard of the Federal Reserve and you think the Federal Reserve is spooky, just look up the BIS. Um, and Augustin Karsdens, he's the managing director, you know, head of the BIS. Uh, he says this is how he describes it: when somebody goes and spends a hundred dollar bill. It's a big problem. He's talking about, oh, this is such a crisis that like people can go and spend cash and we don't know who spent it. We don't know what they spent it on. They could have spent it on groceries that we don't, we don't know. And that's a big problem. This is why we need central bank digital currencies is because when you get rid of cash and, and cash is a very, I mean, most people don't spend cash. I, you know, and, and I would encourage, by the way, everyone to spend a lot more cash because that will raise your awareness about how fast this is moving. I mean, during the pandemic, you're right, Bobby, they, you know, for sanitary reasons or whatever, they said card only. And that was another, you know, there's all these little tertiary benefits that the pandemic helped advance the agenda. And Klaus Schwab said the digitalization of everything is a central component of the great reset. And that includes your identity and your currency. Um, but yeah, no, they're moving to a system where, you know, whether it's an implantable microchip 
or it's uh, bio biometric where they just can scan your face, which they say is as unique as your fingerprint. Uh, I personally think they will be going chip because, and we started with the 666 patent, and I think we should end with it, is Microsoft has this patent called, uh, you know, they, it's nicknamed the 666 patent just because the last three digits or the last six digits of the patent number are 060606. But this is a, uh, a method for... Uh, it's an implantable chip uh, that, that you can wear, and Bill Gates, is, uh, he's got the patent on it, uh, where you can have it implanted in your body, and it, it ties into a cloud where your account is. And, and with this chip, uh, you can um, actually earn money. Uh, it's a kind of a blockchain-type technology. I really recommend you read the book for more details on it. It's kind of highly technical stuff, but very fascinating. And he says, like, you know, the humans of the future, who a guy named Yuval Noah Harari says will be useless. He's the World Economic Forum visionary. Uh, humans of the future, yeah, your jobs got taken by AI. You're kind of useless. Um, you know, you're going to be placated with uh, either drugs or, or video games or, you know, headset, you know, metaverse-type technologies. But, uh, you know, great news, you can actually earn money, thanks to Bill Gates' 666 patent, by doing really, uh, really fascinating things like watching advertisements. Literally, in the patent application, is like you could earn money, like cryptocurrency on the blockchain or CBDC on the blockchain by watching advertisements or, ta or taking surveys. And so the future that they have planned for us, and we are like hurtling towards it, breakneck speed, um, is uh, it, it doesn't look like a great existence at all. And, it, and it's kind of like, you know, people are like, oh, well, I, you know, I'll take the UBI and I don't like working anyway. You know, this will allow me to take up cooking classes or I'll finally be able to learn the guitar like I've been wanting to do. These guys are not going to pay for you to take cooking classes and just hang around all day and, and work on your poetry or your painting. So, you know, whether they, uh, they off you in, in some, uh, some sinister way or it's slow or they just make it so that you can't have kids anymore. Um, th these guys need to be stopped. Uh, it starts with, cause I know you get to the end of a podcast like this or certainly the book and I've got recommendations in the book, but even still, it's just like, Oh man, this is, this is so heavy. Uh, you know, I, I feel powerless to stop it, but no, I, I, I do think there's a lot of hope. I do think we are actually winning. And I think that actually what is happening right now, why they are racing so fast into this uh frightening techno techno uh you know hell technocratic hellscape um is because we are going I, I believe we're going to win i believe actually the battle is already won uh if you're a, if you're a believer then you know the battle is already won Absolutely. but uh but but at the same time i mean you know i don't i also don't you know we're not necessarily in end times you know the 666 patent may just because may just be because uh you know, Bill Gates is a sick freak, but, uh, you know, we, we've got to keep fighting. We've got to fight back. And, and the key is waking up more people. This is why they're afraid. This is why Davos this year, the theme was rebuilding trust. They know that we don't trust them. Just look at the, the uprisings that you are seeing around the world. Go look at the Scottish uh, farmers, the German farmers, the French farmers, the Dutch farmers. I believe that eventually the the American farmers. And, and the thing about the farmers is they're going to be key to the revolution here is uh, everybody loves their farmer, to be honest. Nobody really looks down. Even the left, right, center, you know, they know where our food comes from. And uh, the farmers are sort of like an apolitical group. I mean, they probably typically vote red, but, uh, but most people are like, yeah, I mean, I like, you know, I like fr fruits and veggies and I like my meats. 
Um, and and, and th- other things, there's all kinds of indicators to, that should give you hope is these fake meats, uh, the impossible and the beyond and the lab grown stuff that Bill Gates is cranking out. Um, you, they're flopping with consumers and even the AI. I mean, is right now it's kind of, and, and it's going to be on the upswing for a few years, but I believe, you know, you go look at the comments on, you know, when someone puts out a new like video that was made entirely by AI and a lot of people are like, Oh, wow, cool. This is like so surreal. And then you get deep down to the comments, find those, uh, you know, censored and banned accounts that are down, uh, show more replies. Uh, everybody's saying this is creepy. This is weird. Um, there's a reason last year's word of the year, according to Miriam Webster was authentic. People are crazy, craving authenticity. They don't like this fake future of artificial intelligence. And so we just need to, uh, hurry up the process of waking up our friends, our family, our neighbors, um, share this book, share this podcast, um, and, and, and wake up as many people as you can, because once you're awake and once you see what's really going on here, I mean, and, and, and this is why the book and these podcasts are going to be great. It's not political. These are not political issues. These are existential issues. They transcend political divides. Uh, the book, I've gotten better feedback from the political left. And, you know, people would say that, you know, we expose Biden and Clinton, you know, you're a right winger, right? No, these are existential issues. Um, and, and I wrote the book for the, uh, the Bernie bros out there. Like, yes, the millionaires and billionaires are up to no good. A lot of them, there's good ones, there's bad ones. This book is about the bad ones. Um, and we need to expose them. So, uh, I think, uh, we outnumber the control guards like a million to one. And, uh, I think we can win this thing. Yeah. I think, I think if we really started focusing on and actually remembering how powerful we are when we start working together, we've been trained for so long to be divided by our political leaning when really all that's just petty differences that are, that separating two very powerful working bodies and working powers from actually coming together and getting something really, really effective done. Um, like Yeah, and I think, I think the revolution is global. Um, and that's the key is because like we've been so trapped in this paradigm and this matrix, this like this false dichotomy of like left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, liberal versus dis- uh, conservative. No, it is uh, control oligarch versus peasant. You're a peasant. If you're not a control guard, you're a peasant to them. Um, and they don't care about you. You're disposable. You're cattle. They think of you as cattle. And that's, and I kind of talk about that in the, uh, you know, how the six, six, six patent. I mean, it's basically treating you like cattle. It's a, you know, these, 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 uh, implantable chips are just like a brand that they would stamp on a, uh, you know, on herds of cattle. So, um, you know, it's, you know, I think, I think we can, we outnumber them like a million to one or more. So, uh, and, and that's why it's got to be global is because, you know, left and right in America, like you're so like programmed, not you guys, but, you know, people in general, so programmed to hate their fellow peasant, uh, their fellow member of the, the herd that is, uh, you know, treated as livestock by the control oligarchs that uh, when it when it when you realize that, oh, farmers all around the world are uprising left, right, center doesn't matter. And you realize that these issues are existential issues. And that it's not like, you know, some silly debate about taxes and like, you know, who should pay their fair share or whatever. Personally, by the way, I'm, like, we should tax the heck out of the control oligarchs. Take 100% of their money. Like, I'm not against, uh, you know, making the uh, billionaire class pay more. And that's sort of a way you can appeal to uh, people who ordinarily think that they disagree with you. We are all on the same side. Um, and so I think we just need to be talking about bigger issues than, you know, what AOC said one day or, 
you know, uh, Mitch McConnell, you know, whatever. Those guys are all puppets. You need to be focusing on the puppet masters. Yeah, it's really important to start working together with your fellow brothers and sisters, set aside those petty little differences, and work on some, some good, powerful projects together. And I believe uh, another very good technique going forward to the future is when uniting, we need to understand the anatomy of our true enemy. Because we know these controller oligarchs are going to unleash machines upon us because they're not going to step off their off their stools and come down to us personally. No, they will send the creations of their own hands. They'll send their machines after us. And we need to start understanding the anatomy of these machines and learning how to counter them, uh, potentially, uh, if they're unleashed upon us. And we can't really do that unless we just simply unite and again uh well i mean and part of us uniting again is, is is waking each other up you know the the divide and conquer is their pattern and you know god says that my people perish for lack of knowledge so mm -hmm. if we have our knowledge that is power we can see the patterns we can see it coming and we can take control of our own lives before they try to take control of us Amen. You are exactly right, Kimberly and Bobby. We we've got to uh, we've got to band together. I mean, some other things you can do: uh, start growing your own food and, and form a community. You really got. I mean, all, these problems are global. The solutions to them are local. You've got to be getting together IRL in real life with like-minded members of your community. Um, you know, forming communication networks in case they, you know, there's all kinds of crises where they want to, you know, where they, where they can take control, whether it's pandemic, EMP, nuclear, you know, all of the things that are just like every day in headlines, like, oh, maybe a nuclear war is right down the way. Who knows? But the solutions are local. Uh, if you're not growing your own food, go to your farmer's market and start supporting your local farmers. They are under a total attack. Uh, I just, you know, in the last year found a, a local butcher who, you know, isn't, is a like-minded type person and is growing, you know, cattle and pigs and, you know, all kinds of food, uh, proteins and not injecting them with the new MRNA technologies from, uh, Bill Gates <clears throat> and others. And so spend your money locally within your community. Don't be sending it to Amazon and, uh, in the control guard. So anyway, this was, this was an amazing time. I mean, I really enjoyed this. I can't wait for the, uh, the next episode. I, I've, uh, got to run here my mom just arrived and uh, she's in from out of town well to everybody to all the listeners out there again on episode two of control oligarchs we have the author seamus bruner and he was just promoted as vice president at government accountability institute also known as gai if you want to check out anything involving seamus bruner his name is Spelled S-E-A-M-U-S, last name B-R-U-N-E-R. One of the last of the Mohicans when it comes to uh, investigative researchers. Uh, one of the best researchers in the U.S., at least probably the best I've ever met. So again, Seamus, uh, yeah, we certainly look forward to episode three as we carry on. So um, it's been an honor to have you here. Thank you, Seamus. Thank you so much. Uh, your words of wisdom and the solutions, um, that's where we are. You know, put it out there uh, on what's going on and then focus on the solutions. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you, Bobby, for, for, the, for your time and, and giving me your uh, platform. God bless you guys. Pray for me. I'm, I'm praying for you.
All righty. Yes. God bless you, Seamus. We'll Take talk, care. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.